That is yourself that's in it. How are you doing? Monday, it is the 4th of July 2022. Happy Independence Day to our listeners stateside in the US. I hope you've had a lovely weekend and I hope you're barbecuing the bejesus out of yourself right about now. I guess you probably are. No, you won't be. It's a bit early, isn't it, for all of that malarkey. Uh, Should be a good show today. I'm with you till 7 o'clock as usual. Monday's programme. Let's get on with it then. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, of course, in reality, there isn't any independence anywhere, is there really, in the world. There's a lot of lockstep, I think. A lot of lockstep, a lot of globalism, despotism, gangsterism, and even some totalitarianism, sadly. But happy Independence Day anyway. I'm going to be talking with Jean Murray a little bit later on. Jean is an Irish author and blogger. She was on the programme with me last year. Really enjoyed having her on. She was talking about standing up to the tyranny of mask mandates in Ireland. Now, Jean was very interested in listening to Kim Isherwood on this programme a few weeks ago. Kim is campaigning in Wales to try and stop the Welsh government to force children as young as three to learn about their sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah. Jean tells me this is going on in Ireland. It's going on in lots of places. Hence, lockstep. So we'll talk about that and much more with Jean Murray a little bit later on. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers, here in the heart of Salford. Super Salford. And I am the bearer of good tidings today. You might remember last week I said that there's a big studio rebuild going on and it might impact on the show this coming week. Well, it won't. It won't disrupt the schedule at all at all because the rebuild is going to happen now at the end of the week, which is marvellous. There won't be any disruption to the schedule this week at all, at all, at all. But there will be two crazy days next weekend, Friday and Saturday, rebuilding the old BBG Towers from the bottom up with my great pal Paul Ripley, who was in the house today regaling me with tales of his trip to the United States. Paul was in the States recently, San Francisco, Las Vegas, New York, a three-week whirlwind trip, and he saw some amazing things. He really did. We were chatting about it here in Casa Ricardo today. Casa Ricardo. What's going on there? Yeah. That's one of the reasons there's going to be a rebuild. <laughs> I could hear something in in my ear. Yeah, I'm still hearing it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. How are you? Y- you can talk to me during the programme, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live, top at menu bar, top at menu bar. Let me know what it is. Um, you're thinking about the things we're going to talk about today. Is that just the headphones now? It's not great. Something is bothering me. I'm hearing a bit of a buzzing in my ear. But I'll have to just live with it and carry on. Improvise, adapt and overcome, as we say, in God's country. Now, the residents of the city of Hamburg in Germany, I've written about this today on my website, they've been told that warm water may very well be rationed this coming winter 
if that is, Germany itself runs out of natural gas. Now, since this Ukraine conflict, Russia has reduced exports of natural gas to Germany uh, by around 60%. It gets to Germany using this Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which incidentally, will shut down for 10 days from next Monday for scheduled maintenance. And some in the German government are a bit worried about that. They think that the dastardly Russians might turn the taps off for longer than 10 days to push Germany into recession, OK? Wrote about this today. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, newspaper columns in Germany and talk show guests on television and radio have been arguing about the shower times, about how long you should spend in the shower and what temperature you should use when you're having a shower, when you're washing your dangly bits. God knows we all have dangly bits. They get danglier the older we get. So they've been arguing about this stuff. How often should you have a shower even? Didn't we talk briefly yesterday on the Melody thing about a story in the Star on Sunday that uh, is about people maybe shouldn't be washing their clothes as often this summer here in Blighty. Yeah? Remember that? We talked about that. So this is all getting very interesting, isn't it? Shortages and rationing and stuff. Rationing. So um, the economy minister, Robert Habeck, or Habeck, I suppose it's Habeck, he said that he, in a bid to do his bit to deal with this energy crisis, has shortened his own showers. Now, in Hamburg yesterday, um, it, it became the first German region or city to even moot the prospect of placing restrictions on domestic hot water. A guy called Jens Karsten, the city's energy minister, told Welt am Sonntag, the world on Sunday, if we don't succeed in saving enough gas through the big industrial companies, we could be confronted with limited deliveries which might affect individual parts of the city. And then he says warm water might only be available at particular times. And I'm very interested in this, as you are, as we should be, the prospect of water rationing, food rationing. It's all been... Mooted, it's all mooted. There's that word mooted again. It's all been openly discussed, various forums, newspapers, television shows, radio shows, travel, rationing to offset the effects of climate change, right? All of this has been discussed now. And I was thinking today of smart towns, but really smart houses, smart cities. And of course, the advent of smart cities, but particularly smart homes, will give them, or is giving them, the capability of doing the, the very thing we, we're talking about, rationing things. To be able to ration the amount of hot water you have through the Internet of Things, through everything in your home being connected to the Internet. The control will be total. Not just rationing the amount of hot water you use, but rationing uh, your, your, your central heating, your, your thermostat, whatever that might be. Rationing the food... Uh, that you eat through monitoring your smart fridge and your smart cooker. How will it be able to do that? Well, it'll give everybody a social credit score, we think, which will determine whether we are good citizens or not and therefore are entitled to the privileges and access that good citizens can expect. I've no doubt that's where we're heading. Okay. Um, and under my article today, there was a very interesting comment from Craig before we get on to some of the big news stories in the UK media today. Very interesting comment from Craig, who says, 
I like Star Trek, he says. Craig is a listener who sometimes posts underneath the articles on the website. He says, um, I like Star Trek a lot, though. Uh, he, no, he says, I like Star Trek a lot, though not so much the newer series. He says, however, the more I see unfolding, the more I cannot escape the notion that Picard's Enterprise or even Cisco's DS9, so these are two different Star Trek programs, right? He says he can't escape the notion that these two programs are predictive programming models for the smart city. Then he goes on to give a few examples of what is contained in these two television programs. He says everyone lives in simple quarters. Apart from a very few trinkets, no one owns anything. For the most part, everyone wears unisex jumpsuits. Clothing is generally made from synthetic fibres and is created by the replicators, Replicators is a form of 3D printing. All food is artificial and again comes from the replicators. There is no smoking or drug abuse and little alcohol because alcohol is replaced by synthetol or synthahol, I should say, synthahol, which is the taste of alcohol, but not the effects of the real thing. Vaccines play a prominent uh, role in many stories. Everyone has a physiological and psychological profile on record. Wearable technology, including the ubiquitous communicator, is commonplace. Such technology, such technology, among other things, acts as a tracker and monitors health. Uh, considering the amount of adults, there are few children. Considering they are explorers, they have a very militaristic structure. Counselors have a lot of authority. There is no gallows humour. There are no nicknames, especially derogatory ones. And they had stories addressing children choosing gender and stories addressing biological sex swap. Also stories about matriarchal and androgynous societies. And it has the artificial reality it has the artificial reality holodecks for entertainment. Radio and especially television and cinema having gone the way of the dodo. How interesting is that? Predictive programming may be in two different manifestations of the Star Trek universe. Two different uh, TV shows which uh, represent the Star Trek universe, normalising a future paradigm through TV entertainment. But does it work though? Can they be sure that if you demonstrated enough times on television, dear listener, and if you demonstrated enough times on film, that it'll be more likely that people will accept it? Can you answer me that question? If they put this stuff in TV and films enough, does it really mean that it is more likely that people will accept it when it's served up to them in the future? I'm not entirely sure about that. I think Craig is bang on the money. If this stuff is showing up in Star Trek, and we know it's showing up in other films and television series, well, obviously, there is a bit of predictive programming going on. But how effective will it be? Uh, Climate change will be blamed on food and water shortages. They've got the solution for that too. Wrote about this on richieallen.co.uk earlier. It's at Frankenfoods, of course. Um, writing in the Telegraph today, George Eustace, the Environment Secretary, said that gene editing technology is vital to ensure food security. There's the term security again. Health security, food security. Eustace wrote today, Global gas prices have led to increased input costs for farmers across the UK and the wider world, particularly for manufactured fertilisers, livestock feed, energy and fuel. He says we need to look at the full range of solutions that are available to us and we must work alongside our world-leading agricultural research institutes to do so. He writes, through these technologies, we will have the power to develop crops that are more resistant to pests and diseases, less reliant on fertilisers and pesticides, which will cut 
cut costs to farmers and more resilient, it'll be more resilient to climate change. He says with water scarcity likely to become an increasing issue around the world, the ability to develop plants that cope better with water stress will be vital for global food security. Uh, the, UK, the UK government has tabled a bill, this is me now talking, uh, the UK government has tabled a bill to allow farms to grow more gene-edited crops that will be, as Eustace plans, more resistant to disease and to uh, need less water. This is the genetic technology uh, bill presented to Parliament last year. Hopefully, they, well not hopefully, they they hope to make it law this year and they hope that next year you will see the first gene edited foods on supermarket shelves here in the UK. This is genetically modified food by the back door. They tell you there's a big difference between genetically modified food and gene edited food. In theory there is, but there isn't really. They have no idea what impact this stuff will have on people, on the biology of human beings, on on our own uh, immune systems. They have no idea. Uh, And speaking of climate change, Just Stop Oil tried to disrupt the British Grand Prix at Silverstone yesterday. You might have seen this. A few of them made it onto the track before being swiftly removed. Several arrests were made today. One of the Just Stop Oil protesters was interviewed on Good Morning Britain by... Amazingly, Ed Balls. He, of course, formerly of the Labour Party. Have a listen to this. I totally understand the campaign. Climate change is really important. But I ask you a specific question. What were you trying to achieve yesterday and did you achieve your objective? I'm on your programme talking about the most critical issue facing humanity, so I'd call that a success. So it's getting the publicity. Absolutely. You know, we're out of time, unfortunately. We're we're in a dire situation right now. We had three named storms in a week in the United Kingdom recently. It hit 49 degrees C in British Columbia recently. It's supposed to have a top temperature of like 16 degrees. I understand that. You know, it was 30 degrees above average in the Arctic, 40 degrees above average in the Antarctic. It was so hot in India and Pakistan, birds were literally dropping out the sky. We're seeing crops fail worldwide. If we don't take action now, we're all going to... When you think of the great... He cut across him there, Ed Balls. The kid was going to say, we're all going to die if we don't take action now. Actually dropping out the sky. We're seeing crops fail worldwide. If we don't take action now, we're all going to... When you think of the... To die. Ed Ball should have left him finish the sentence, really, shouldn't he? Think of the great protest movements and the civil disobedience of the last hundred years, like the suffragettes or the campaign Gandhi for Indian independence or the civil rights movement or, uh, you know, the pride campaign for, um, for equality... Um, mm. for um, people of all sexualities in our country. I mean, what do you learn from their campaigns? Well, as you, as you will no, well know, they all took disruptive action. Like, we wouldn't be in the place that we are in society if those groups hadn't taken the action. Let me start yeah. off and, and, and draw on something. Interesting stuff, right? That's uh, one of the Just Stop Oil protesters speaking to Ed Balls. Remember, I've, I've spoken about this many times before, the crossover politics into media, politicians, both present and former, present and past, I should say, now presenting news television programmes and and magazine programmes and why that's happening. It's extraordinary. It's uh, 16 minutes past the hour. Going to take a quick tune, back with plenty more uh, in this hour of The Richie Allen Show. Your comments to richieallen.co.uk. Please, I look forward to reading them as we go along. It's Monday's programme. It is the 4th of July. Thought about one or two tunes with an American flavour, and I thought, now you did that yesterday, Richie. This is Deacon Blue Dignity, back with plenty more after this. 
Deacon Blue, Dignity on the Richie Allen Show, 20 minutes past, or near as damn it, 20 minutes past 5 o'clock. Welcome to the programme. If you're just joining me, it's always good to be with you, to be with you. Good. Now, COVID never went away, did it? It's back, and it's back with a bang. According to the BBC, the number of people being admitted to hospital with COVID is expected to rise further. The BBC reporting that Jenny Harries, or Dame Jenny Harries, the chief executive of the UK Health Security Agency, the UK Health Security Agency, there's that term again. How chilling is that? Health security. Anyway, we won't labour it. Um, Hospital cases and infections are down on earlier highs, but Harries, Jenny Harries, of the HSA told the BBC there could still be an impact on treating other patients. This warning comes after figures showed UK COVID cases jumped by 32% in a week. I'll tell you how they're doing this, right? The Office for National Statistics, in the absence of free COVID tests, because the free COVID tests are gone, right? So the Office for National Statistics is sending tests out randomly to people asking people to test themselves and to return the result to it, to the Office for National Statistics. Added to that, in hospitals, people who go to hospital for whatever reason are being routinely tested. So this is how they're claiming that cases are on the up and they've jumped 32% in a week. Now, this dame, Jenny Harris, told the BBC that people are being encouraged to go about their normal lives, but in a precautionary way whatever that means. In England, writes the BBC, or writes somebody for the BBC, almost 9,000 hospital beds were taken up with COVID patients on June 30th, a doubling of admissions since the start of the month. Data from the other UK nations is not as up-to-date, but suggests a similar rise in June. So just to finish with this, on the BBC website, the latest rise in COVID infections by about 500,000 cases last week, according to survey data by the Office for National Statistics, is being driven by two new fast-spreading sub-variants of the Omicron variant. Does anybody believe this? Obviously, yes, they do. So right, cases are on the up because of new sub-variants of the Omicron variant. Those sub-variants are called BA.4 and BA.5. I, I, I suspect somewhere in a room in an office, the architects of this garbage are sitting around laughing their arses off. But that's just my opinion. The BBC finishes with this. An estimated 2.3 million people, or 1 in 30, has the virus now. This is horse manure, most of it. But then you know that anyway. So what does it mean? Well, it means that COVID is back in play and television and radio presenters, hacks in the print media and a few witch doctors are calling for masks to be brought back for indoors and crowded public places. We said it wasn't going away and it isn't going away. Listen to LBC Radio's James O'Brien speaking this morning on his radio show or whatever they call it these days. But a lot of the opposition to mask wearing or precautionary measures seemed to me at the time, and I'm certain of it now, built upon a a hatred of being told what to do, a hatred of being told that it's bedtime, a hatred of being told to eat your greens. So I look at this 
And I think the government should do something. I just think it's such a silly and simple thing to do. And this is why I remain fascinated by people who found mask wearing to be an unbearable affront to their civil liberties. It would be such a simple thing to do now, if not to introduce a mask mandate, then simply to say that it would be a good idea. Instead of Jenny Harris going out, and I didn't see the whole interview, so correct me if I'm wrong, but instead of Jenny Harris going out and saying people should go about their normal lives but in a precautionary way, which, as Des points out, is open to the accusation of meaninglessness. But what does that mean? You want detail, right? You want detail. James O'Brien wants detail. He wants Jenny Harris or the government to tell him what to do. I, I cede control of myself to you, says James O'Brien. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm incapable of knowing what to do when I have a little bit of a temperature or a fever, as you call it in America. Got to defer to America today of all days. Runny nose, bit of a cough. Um, I don't know what to do, so tell me what to do. Tell me to stay indoors. Tell me to wear a mask. I'll do it, says James O'Brien. It gets worse. Hand washing. Um, here it is. You should continue to follow sensible precautionary advice, highlighting hand washing, social distancing and wearing a mask in enclosed, poorly vented, ventilated areas. So she went a little further than Des allows. But I don't think she's gone anywhere near far enough. And that's the question I'm going to ask you. So two questions now. Number one, if one in 30 people have got it, then even if it's nowhere near as serious as it was in a pre-vaccination period, shouldn't the government be giving us some fairly clear guidelines on what we should and shouldn't be doing now with regard to coronavirus? And that's a straight yes or no, 0345 6060. Yeah, forget the phone number for a minute. He says, does O'Brien, he says, um, shouldn't the government be doing more? Shouldn't they be going further than just telling people to use your common sense if you're not feeling well, we're in the middle of the summer. Uh, no, we need to do a bit more. Uh, and then he says this. Those are bright. It's me eternally. Explain to me, the people, whether you're one of them or not, and you probably won't be, but explain to me the people who had such a massive problem with precautionary measures, with mask wearing, social distancing, hand washing. And you're not allowed on this programme if you if you deny science. Sorry, there are, I'm sure plenty of places in the British media where you can still get a warm welcome. Uh, you're not allowed on this programme if you deny science, but what science? There isn't a uh, shred of scientific evidence that masks stop the spread of anything. In fact, all the evidence is to the contrary, as we'll hear in a moment. And of course, O'Brien knows this. But I'm not interested in what you read on your Uncle Keith's Facebook page and, and how it's all a plan to overtake the universe and turn us all into digital currency-based drones or some nonsense like that. I mean, Digital currency-based drones. I'm interested only in people who are otherwise relatively... But, but they are planning to turn us all into digital currency-based drones. People who... Um, a monetary system, which is a central bank digitalised currency, a cashless society in which people are drones effectively because they are completely under the control of the rules-based currency manufacturers, if you want to call them, that those who control the currency control how it's spent and ultimately control the people who use it. He must know this. Relatively sensible. Relatively sensible, being the, relatively being the crucial word. Yeah. Wow.
So call him only if you've swallowed all the bullshit he sold you over the past two and a half years. If you're a mask-wearing, socially distancing, quadruple-jabbed clone with your brains in your arsehole, call James O'Brien. Don't call him to say, well, you know, Wales and Scotland, for example, kept the masks. Uh, cases in England stabilised and dropped. It went up, though. Cases went up in Wales and Scotland. Uh, figure that one out. There's no peer-reviewed study ever to demonstrate masks are, are, uh, are, are useful. You might as well tie your mask to your bumhole, right? For all the good it'll do. This is a fact, it's not, not conjecture. By the way, there probably will be a mask in the future to neutralise your flatulence to stop climate change. They, they talked about those for cows, didn't they? Didn't they talk about putting diapers? Again, I'm deferring to the 4th of July here. Diapers, nappies on cows to neutralise the flatulence, maybe. A little bit more from O'Brien. What, what, what was that about? Am I being completely unfair when I say it is just like superannuated six-year-olds who hate being told that it's bedtime? Or, or, or was there something else going on? That, that, that reluctance, refusal, anger almost at being asked to wear a mask. Because I think that might be part of the current problem. Well, they weren't asked to wear a mask. They were told to wear a mask. They were told to wear a mask or they'd be arrested. They'd be kicked off of tubes and trains and buses. They'd be arrested, they'd be fined. They were told to wear a mask. They were not presented with, as I said earlier, a shred of evidence to prove that masks did anything. They were told, they were threatened, they were bullied. That's why people didn't like it. And that's why people, like myself, said, no, you can stick your masks. That's why they did. Not because they're six-year-olds who don't like being told what to do. Part of the reason why the government won't come out and give us some proper decent guidelines or even instructions at a time when one in 30 people have got it, which means some of them will get long COVID, and long COVID is an absolute nightmare. Long COVID, eh? What, um, what should the government be doing? Because the reason why they're not doing anything will be partly down to the usual reasons. They're useless and far too busy dealing with the latest allegations of sexual misconduct to do anything with regard to a potentially lethal pandemic where the numbers are rising again. But also, I think that they're a little bit in hock to the superannuated six-year-olds. If the Prime Minister is a superannuated six-year-old, then the priorities of superannuated six-year-olds perhaps get rather higher currency than they would do in a country governed by somebody relatively sensible. Do you know if plurality had not been destroyed in this country deliberately, nobody would listen to that fuckwit? Do you know that? There was only him and a guy called Mike Graham in the entirety of the UK now. If you want to listen to talk radio, outside of the BBC, that is, your only choice in the mid-morning is that idiot, that goon, that Lord Ho-Ho impersonator, or Mike Graham on talk radio. That's all you have. That's what, the, that's what they did when they destroyed plurality, when they took mid-morning talk shows away from the towns and villages and counties of this country, the United Kingdom, and my country, Ireland. You're left with that. If it's talk radio you want, you can't stand music, you can't stand Ken Bruce, you don't want to listen to your local station and the Muppet that they've got on in the mid-morning playing useless music, you want to hear some talk, you've got two presenters in a country with 67 million people. That's what you have. You'll be screaming at me, talk sport, no, no, no. The only political programmes you've got outside of the BBC are those two. If plurality had not been destroyed, nobody would listen to him. I'm sure of it. Trust me, I'm an expert. So all this stuff about masks and all this stuff about cases. Let, let's hear from Carl Hennigan, the Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University. Talk TV or talk radio is the only place he can get an interview these days. I invited him on here a year and a half, two years ago. 
He said, no, fair enough. So these cases then, Carl Hennigan, Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University, the cases that have prompted the witch doctors and Lord Ho-Ho's to call for masks and restrictions. What's going on? Here he is, Carl Hennigan, speaking with Julia Hartley-Brewer. You do not need to worry. Since we last spoke, that actually in intensive care, it's gone up to about 219 in ventilation beds. That's about 44 more people in the last seven, eight days out of 57 million. Deaths are very low. In England, they're down at 246 on the ONS survey. There were a 1,000 in April. So all of those measures... That's a, that's a week. Yeah, that's in a week. That's how many were reported on the death certificate. So very low numbers. But what's happening again is we're starting to panic. And in doing that, we're seeing particularly around the world, this is happening in places like Italy, it's happening in France, cases of surgery. We're getting that first England, bring back masks, please. That's when we need something to reassure ourselves. Yeah. And that's a bit that's concerning. We need now to understand this is what it's going to be like. But at the moment, this virus is actually causing very little severity. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, I know my, look, my, my 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. I mean, you know, you'd be concerned about someone that age. Yeah, it feels a bit rotten, but absolutely fine. Four jabs, um, you know, yeah. it's Omicron. It's a, it's a lesser lethal variant. Good Jesus. Did you hear that? My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. I mean, you know, you'd be concerned about someone that age. Yeah, it feels a bit rotten, but absolutely fine. Four jabs. 78. I can do better than that. Hang on. My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. Do you hear that? Let's play it again. My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. And again. My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. Go on. One My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. Can Julia Hartley Brewer, the thinking man's bit of crumpet, really be that fucking stupid, can she? Does the penny drop? Does Brewer know what's going on, really, and basically just covers her arse and just says what it is she's supposed to do? Could you really say this? My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. And a bit rotten. Four jabs. Four jabs. Can you really be that stupid? Anyway, Hennigan says nothing to worry about. That's what he said in the earlier clip. So Hartley Brewer asks him about masks then and the evidence that masks do anything. I mean, you know, realistically, everyone's going to get this. It's like just like trying to live your entire life without ever coming in contact with a common cold. You're probably going to catch it. And, and people are as protected as they're going to be right now. Um, in terms of people say the demands for masks, and again, people want reassurance. There are lots of people who I've seen those people on social media say, you know, we've worn masks and the one time we took our masks off, that's when we caught COVID. You've looked at all the studies on masks. I mean, I've been talking about this and I'm blue in the face for, for two years now. I mean, there was a point in, in summer 2020 when they said, put masks on. I thought, do you know what? If that's what's going to get people out and about feeling safer, that'd be a good thing. Turns out masks are actually a signal of danger. They, they're the, they're the starting point of things getting a lot worse when it comes to restrictions on our lives. So I will fight that all the way. But, but the evidence that masks save lives, is it there? Christ, she's going for the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest question ever asked. Just fucking ask him! Takes you three seconds. Do you notice that about the media, how you're hearing the interviewers far more than you are the interviewees? It's rubbish, isn't it? I've a bee in my bonnet about this today, and I'm an expert. I used to teach this. Christ! Just say it to him after he answers the question. Professor, what is the evidence? to support the claim that masks prevents 
this or masks prevent even the spread of viruses. And shut up and let him answer. Anyway, when he eventually got to speak, this is what he said. Well, look, we've, in this pandemic, billions of masks have been worldwide. Policies across the board have looked to them, yet we've only had two randomised controlled trials. Two randomised controlled trials. This is the truth now. This isn't his opinion. Done in the world. And for me, that's staggering. The fact that we've not learned anything throughout this pandemic about what works for non-pharmaceutical interventions as is I do not understand and that needs to be sorted going forward. But it won't be sorted going forward. Again, I asked the same question as Carl Hennigan as Julia stupid fucking Hartley Brewer. At what point will it dawn on you, son, that there's something else going on? At what point will you stop giving him the excuse of rank stupidity? When will it dawn on you? That this isn't fucking rank stupidity. That there is a pattern there. If you're a professor of evidence-based medicine, one of your skills is the dissemination of information. It's to see patterns where other people can't see them. When will it dawn on Hennigan that there is a reason why they did everything but study the impacts of mask wearing and other restrictions during the height of the original lockdown? When will it dawn on him that it is because there is something far more sinister going on? Has it already dawned on him? Again, is he covering his hairy arse? Well, I love my job at Oxford. It's a fucking cushy job. 300 grand. I doubt he's getting 300 grand a year. Six figures anyway. Yeah, I'll just keep my mouth shut and let let tyranny reign. Is that the way it is with Brewer and, and Hennigan and others? This... Bullshit we've had to listen to for years. The, the excuses handed out to, to governments. Ah, they just screwed up. It beggars belief that they didn't do any impact studies on the use of masks and other such uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions. Can you believe it, Julia? Well, can you believe it, Carl? Can you fucking believe it? Of course, this is the reason why that dickhead didn't come on this programme. He was all for it until he fucking read Wikipedia. Because these are the questions I'd be asking him. It's the reason they don't come on. I'm in good form today. It might sound like I'm not. I've had a decent day. Ah! It's all coming back. Masks, everything. It's all coming back. This autumn. And that bint Hartley Brewer. I mean, just listen to this again. I have to play this again. My 78-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. Four jabs. And presumably... Because he's 78, he'll be getting a text message or a letter very soon to invite him to come for the autumn booster. Meaning he'll have had five fucking jabs. And if he gets COVID in the winter, will he, will, will he then say, or 78-year-old father, if he survives it, will he then at that point say, Jesus, these fucking jabs are useless, aren't they? I doubt he has an Irish accent now. Are these fucking jabs, huh? 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 Yeah. Wow. Nothing to worry about, says, says, says Hennigan. This, this, this wave, nothing to worry about. There, there's no proof that masks do anything. And then they give them the pass, you know. Rather than say there's something very sinister going on, I go back to what I said a minute ago. A man of science or a woman of science, one of their great skills is the ability to see patterns. To see in a bunch of data. They see it like they see chess pieces on a board. Wow, this is about something completely different. It's not about a virus. They are transforming society. 
into a dystopian fucking prison world. And Jesus, look at all this climate change shit, maybe. But yeah, it's easier maybe to take the cash from Oxford. Maybe it's easier to do that. Maybe he's got children who themselves are about to attend third level educational institutions. I have no idea. The time is 21 minutes to the top of the hour. We know that Bonio is a bollocks. We know it, but this song is fairly apt today. Because it feels like we're stuck in a moment that we just cannot get out of. 978-year-old father's got COVID at the moment. Four jabs. Four jabs. I'm afraid Stuck in a moment you can't get out of you two on the Monday's Richie Allen Show, July the 4th, 2022. Bruce says they're like onions, Richie, layers from complete zombies who are just talking sacks of meat through to the other end who just pursue their own self-interest at, at any cost. Pandora says, similarly, uh, they are all shills. Interested. Excuse me. I've just drunk a load of water. Excuse me. Please excuse me. Interested in their own payoffs. Uh, I don't give a, a feck. I will libel them, she says. Well, you're not libeling them. Um, just her opinion. Craig says it might be that Hennigan saw patterns or has seen patterns such as the patterns of influential people who try to expose things, dying from accidents, suicides and heart attacks. That might very well be true. Um, Jabiru Joe says they probably got bacterial pneumonia from wearing the fecking mask. Uh, thanks so much for that. Lots of comments. Go to comment live on richieallen.co.uk. Charlie says, Richie, Brewer is not crumpet. He says, wash your mouth out and get yourself to spec savers at once. Ah, it's a subjective thing, that, I think. Chris says, bit of a coincidence, isn't it? Just as Rush is about to win the war and we all lose interest, COVID comes back just to check that who learnt their lesson, just to find out who learnt their lesson the first time. Good of it to go away the minute Russia invaded in the first place, though maybe that's why our compassionate masters wanted to keep sending arms to the Ukrainians in the first place, he says. Patrick says, I didn't crib, Richie. I was just about to post my last comment when you mentioned Lord Ho Ho. Faisal says, O'Brien is literally a Nazi tyrant telling the population and the government what to do because he unashamedly admits that he knows better. Throughout the last two and a half years, O'Brien in particular, and people like Piers Morgan, demanded of the government that they go faster and harder in curtailing people's civil liberties. Nazi is appropriate when describing James O'Brien. Lord Ho Ho, I wrote about him some months ago. I called him Lord Ho I, I, I likened him to Lord Ho Ho and made a good case for it, I think. He's a disgrace. But what do you do about them? I don't want to I don't want to have anything to do with anybody who recommends violence, targeting people, threatening people, hooliganism, none of that crap. I've no interest in it. But when all is said and done, if the people eventually prevail, what to do with people like O'Brien? What would you do with them? I regard O'Brien and his ilk as incredibly dangerous. They are your enemy. I, I said this years ago. The BBC is, is, how did I describe it exactly? It's a clear and present danger. The BBC and others like it. LBC Radio, a clear and present danger to your liberty. 
to your civil rights, to your human rights, God-given or otherwise. These are the gatekeepers. They make it happen because they don't do their jobs. They don't do, it doesn't do its job, the BBC. Neither does LBC, neither does talk radio. It is a, they are gatekeeping institutions. It's their job to deliver the agenda, to make sense of it, to explain it to people in a way that people will go along with it. I don't know what you would do about people like, like them. All I ever wanted was a level playing field because I always felt if I had a level playing field as a far superior producer of radio than any of these people, and I'm not alone, that with a level playing field, with no shadow banning, with no Twitter banning, with no YouTube banning, with a level playing field, I believed I could make a superior argument. I could make a better argument. That I could present evidence to people that might make people see things a bit differently. But as I said, media plurality has been destroyed, utterly destroyed in this country. You get to listen to him, O'Brien or Mike Graham. Other than that, it's the BBC in the mid-morning. It's Radio 5 Live or Radio 4. Commercial radio doesn't do, uh, regional radio doesn't do talk radio anymore. Doesn't do it. And independents like me, well, when we started doing extra, well, me, there's only me really, started doing extraordinary listening figures, well, they came after us. They came after us. Give me a level playing field. We saw this last year before they kicked us off Twitter, before they banned me from PayPal. I will beat them. I beat them last year on the iTunes charts. This programme did. That's all we asked for was a level playing field. Give us the same access as them. Just leave us alone. Don't interfere with the programme. And we'll beat them. We'll get more listeners because we'll present both sides of the argument properly. Keep our own opinions out of it. Get the guy who says that masks are useless. Get the guy who says masks are good. Put them on in a, in a proper exchange. Old school, long form interviews. Let the public make their minds up. But they've prevented us from doing that. Constantly under attack, the independent media. You know, the little bit of it that's any good, really. So yeah, O'Brien, Nazi, we throw these terms around, but it doesn't matter. Really, people are listening to these people. As I said, mostly due to the fact they don't have anywhere else to go. And increasingly, they're not finding shows like this online because of the efforts Google and Google, YouTube, and Twitter, and Facebook are going to, uh, to, to make shows like this invisible. Um, I'm not feeling sorry for myself or for this show, by the way. It's just a reality. It's how it is. It's uh, 10 minutes to the top of the hour. Going to do this before we, um, we talk with Jean. Before this morning, I, I'd never heard of Natasha Devon. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, she's got a gig on... Funnily enough, LBC Radio at weekends. I'd never heard of her, genuinely. I'm sure she's never heard of me. Now, speaking after the Pride Parade in London over the weekend, Natasha Devon said that the thing that hurts her most is when people say that they don't care about her sexuality. This is really important, this. She says it, it hurts when people say 
I don't care about your sexuality. I don't care about who you go to bed with. It doesn't matter to me. Now, I'm interested in this because I've spent quite a bit of time on this on this program recently, right, in the last year or so. My position is, and always will be, that I couldn't give a shite about sexuality. For me, it's the least interesting thing about anyone. Couldn't care less. Now, what I just said there, I don't care. There was a time when a gay person or a lesbian person would have breathed a sigh of relief at that. And I know this because I've been told this by older gay men and women, like 25 years ago. I say my gay and lesbian mates 25 years ago. I knew two gay guys and I knew one lesbian woman, but I knew them well. They wanted to be treated the same as everyone else, right? They were adamant then that their sexuality is irrelevant. That's, they were adamant. All that gay people wanted back then was to be left alone and that their sexuality in no way defined them at all. That was old school, right? And that's very important. The people I knew would have laughed at the notion that their sexuality was somehow tied up in their identity, that their sexuality, gay, lesbian, boy, whatever, was important and somehow um, contributed to their overall identity. It didn't. It's nonsense. Of course it doesn't. Have a listen to this radio presenter at the weekend, Natasha Devon, explaining to you and me why we should know about her sexuality, why we have to know what um, her sexuality is. Have a listen. My sexuality is still part of my identity. And I think probably the most hurtful response that I get when I speak about this publicly, and I get this both online and in real life, is when people say, I don't care. Why are you telling me about this? What you do in the bedroom is none of my business. And that's hurtful to this young-ish woman, quite a few years younger than me, hurtful, that when she speaks publicly about being bisexual, I think, that people say, well, it's just not relevant to me. I don't know why you're telling me that. Not interested. I don't care... Uh, who you spend time with in the bedroom is none of my business. She finds this hurtful. This is really important. I'm so glad I caught this. Have a listen to a bit more of it. Now, I went to school during Section 28. That was a piece of legislation which effectively said you're not allowed to talk about homosexuality in the classroom. What it actually said was you're not allowed to promote homosexuality in the classroom. But it was so ambiguously worded that generally educators just stayed away from it. And what that meant was I didn't know that bisexuality was an option. (laughs) I knew that I was attracted to girls sometimes, but I also knew that I wasn't gay because I was also attracted to boys sometimes. Now, you're waiting for the bit where she explains why it is important that we hear her declare her sexuality at every given opportunity. She'll talk about every given opportunity soon. I'm waiting to hear... You won't hear it, incidentally, um, why that is. And I didn't know that there was a word for what I was. And there was a huge amount of stigma attached to being a lesbian, particularly as I went to an all-girls school, as already mentioned. And if there were rumours about you being a lesbian in an all-girls school, you were thought of as not safe to be around. I remember there was a girl in the year above me who was out, which was a very brave thing to be back then. And somebody started a petition to get her banned from swimming lessons. Right. So there was an out and proud lesbian in the year above her and somebody tried to get her kicked off the swimming team or barred from swimming lessons. 
You're still waiting to hear why she's hurt when people say they're not interested in her sexuality or who she chooses to go to bed with, right? But you're not going to hear any proper explanation. That was the extent of the stigma that there was. There was a girl that I formed a bond with who was in the year above me and possibly we would have started dating if we'd been given the chance, but we hugged once outside the school gates and people threw things at us. Bollocks. And I appreciate that probably things have moved on since then. I remember telling a family member... This is an explanation as to why this woman gets very hurt when people don't want to know her sexuality and why her sexuality is tied up in her identity. When I was very, very young, I couldn't have been more than about 10 at the time. I remember saying, I think I might fancy Danny Minogue. And this family member saying to me, don't be so silly. And I never know to this day (laughs) whether that's because they thought the whole concept of me fancying a girl was silly or whether they just really didn't like Danny Minogue, or whether they were saying, really, if you're going to fancy a Minogue, it should be Kylie. I don't know. And LBC are paying this woman. Have a listen. So now I do try and drop it into conversation because... After all that now, there was a girl who was nearly chucked off the swimming team because of a petition. There was Rule 28 or, or, or something where you weren't allowed to discuss homosexuality. Um, she gave a girl a hug and, and somebody threw something at her. She told the most boring anecdote of all time about fancying Danny Minogue. Uh, and, and this is an explanation as to why the rest of us should be told why the rest of us should be told that she's bisexual. and Why we should be compelled to listen to it. Have a listen. I just want to exist as a bisexual person in the world. And yes, but exist as a bisexual person in the world. Potentially represent and be a role model for other people. But to do it outside the context of sexuality. And this is something that I hear from young people all the time where we say, yeah, they say, yes, we we hear about LGBTQ people in sex and relationship education. But we want to hear about LGBTQ people as they contribute to society. We want to know about LGBTQ politicians and writers and actors and musicians and sports people because we want to see them outside the context the very specific context of their sexuality so I feel like if I can just drop it into a conversation being me and all the other aspects of me that you already know about then that is a way of representing by dropping it into a conversation with somebody who doesn't give a rat's arse whether you're gay straight boy trans plus pq whatever um you're representing That's the narcissism that I've been talking about on this show for a long time. This acute narcissistic um, personality type that we see, particularly amongst younger people who uh, declare themselves to be gay or boy or trans. You see how she talked about, you know, the swimming and, 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 and the abuse when she had a hook. So she portrayed herself as a victim. And because she was a victim... Uh, I suppose on some level she expects um, reparations of sorts, you know, that that must be acknowledged by by people, by society, that everybody else has to listen to that and take on board um, her own pretty narrow view of uh, um, sexuality as it relates to identity. It's insane stuff, this, isn't it? 
isn't it? I feel terribly hurt when I tell people I'm bisexual and people say I don't care, I'm not interested. You have to be interested. You must be interested. Because if there's not, if you're not interested, there's something wrong with you. You're not a good citizen. This is the whole silence is violence thing that they're bringing in. You know, you're either with us or you're against us. You're either an ally of the LGBTQ plus trans community or you're not. This is the Richie Allen Show. Billy Joel, working a few technical problems here. But I'm still on air. It's been a while since we had any such issues. Back shortly with uh, with uh, Gene Murray. Before that, your comments. Monday show. Billy Joel, River, River of Dreams on the Richie Allen Show. Because I've been working a tech issue here, I'm a bit all over the place. Well, I was. I think I've got it sorted now. Yeah. Monday, Monday. Something in that. There's got to be something in that. So I wasn't, I didn't make myself understood, I don't think, a moment ago. I thought about it long and hard today and I butchered it a minute ago. There's a mythomania enveloping people of a certain age. And I know that for millennia it has been sexy for people my age to criticise younger people for whatever, for their lifestyle choices, for their music choices, for their, I don't know, for their cultural choices, I don't know. It's, it's always been the done thing. I've resisted it. I don't like a lot of modern music, but I, I, I think I might be part of the first generation that is genuinely justified in knocking the music that you hear on the radio today because I believe it's soulless. A lot of it. You look at the more successful artists. In recent years, Ed, Ed what's his name? The ginger kid. Um, le- um, oh, Jesus. And then you have Adele. Is it Adele? You listen to the stuff. It's soulless, melodyless, awful music. Devoid of any real meaning. Empty sentiments. Crap. But it's easy to knock the generation that's coming after you or the generation before that. And I've always tried not to be that guy. But um, mythomania is a cancer. That's running through generations now. Is it down to, has the smartphone played a big part in that? The echo chambers that came out of smart technology, where people surround themselves by those who, 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 I don't know, who flatter them, who suck up to them. Mythomania. It's a big deal. Listen to that bisexual radio presenter mythomania, that belief that you are truly extraordinary, that your life experiences, that your past, that your travels are unique and truly special and that people have to hear about them. They must know. And everything you say must be profound and of great interest to the world at large when it isn't. It isn't. And you fall into lots of little traps when you're like that Natasha Devon. You know, you see yourself as some victim, some perennial victim in some, I don't know, some global battle for human rights. 
you start to mythologize yourself. So you went to school and somebody had a petition started against them because they didn't like lesbians and that somehow impacted on you and that's part of your story and your identity and therefore it's incumbent upon you to constantly tell people you are bisexual and then they must affirm you. They must say, well, that's great, it's great, it's great. But it isn't great to be bisexual. It isn't fucking great to be straight. It isn't great to be gay. It's nothing. It's absolutely irrelevant. It's great to be good. It's great to be benevolent. It's great to be nice to people. It's great to treat your partner, your life, excuse me, your wife or your husband well. It's great to raise good, well-rounded children. It's great to be decent, to love and be loved. But it's not great to be bisexual. Don't inflict your lived experiences on people. Don't be a perennial victim. Don't mythologize your own life because it's not that fucking interesting, really. And by the way, I include my own life in that as well. It's not been that interesting when you put it up against most other people's life experiences. Not important. But that's the sort of person they're making. These people like Natasha Devon. They're, they're, they're churning out people like her. Right across society. Obsessed with themselves. Aesop's fables. Huh? Give me a break. It's all coming true, eh? Wow. It's uh, seven minutes past the hour. Crazy. Crazy. How could you have no sense of self, no sense of reality, that you wouldn't think to yourself, little bit of humility, they're right to tell me that they don't care whether I'm bisexual, straight or gay. How, how could you be hurt that people don't want to know? Again, mythomania. Is the vaccine schedule somehow playing a part in all of this? They give kids now 15 or 16 jabs before they're, before they're 15 years old. Is that turning them into these automatons, these completely self-obsessed creatures? who believe that they have the right to inflict themselves on you and they have the right to go through life never hearing anything that challenges their worldview and that anything that does challenge their worldview should be cancelled, should be banned. Do the vaccines do this to them? Is it the vaccines plus the smartphones? What is it? I meet some of these people from time to time. It's astonishing to be in the company of such narcissism. It's amazing. I know people. You speak to them, they're not listening to you. Not interested in what you have to say. They're actually thinking about what they're going to say next while you're talking. Cut you off halfway through a sentence. It's everywhere. And it's not in any way unique to gay people or, or, or lesbian people or, or bisexual people. But, but they're the prominent ones. These are the ones you're hearing in the media. You must affirm I'll tell you I'm bisexual and you have to listen to it and my experiences. No, I don't have to listen to your experiences. I don't give a fuck what you are, who you go to bed with. Not interested. Only interested in what sort of a character you are. What sort of metal do you have? What sort of spine do you have? Are you a decent person? Do you look after people? Are you interested in people? Do you listen to people or are you sitting there dominating the conversation? Me, 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 me. 
which increasingly her generation and the ones coming after her are. Now I'm bashing youngsters again and I don't want to be doing that. Because somebody will write to me inevitably and say, oh, Richie, you'll be surprised. My nephew is really... Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. But exceptions and exceptions only, I think. Jesus. Anyway, it's a day for ranting, I think, isn't it? The 4th of July. there There you were in America thinking about sitting down after a barbie with a few beers. Right. It's time to get, um, hang on. I've done it again. I've had a few little tech problems, dear listener, during the programme today. But I've managed to navigate it thus far. And um, as I said, I'm having a complete rebuild uh, this weekend. My great friend and colleague, Paul Ripley, will be here. We've got um, some amazing equipment which will be installed. It's going to take about two days to do it, but it won't impact at all. Jesus, hang on now. I'm having to log back in to my communication system because I've just been logged out of it, you see. And I'm doing this all by myself. Isn't it an amazing thing, eh? No producer, no editor, nobody in the background, no team. It's just me, me and me alone. And knowing that, you might want to listen to this and help out where you can. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Right, welcome back. Jean Murray will be with me in about 60 seconds time. I'm looking forward to chatting with Jean. It's uh, Monday's Richie Allen Show, 11 minutes past the hour. Let's get her on now. While the going is good. (laughs) While the going is good. Jean was on the programme with me back in around about the middle of last year. And I really enjoyed uh, chatting with her. She's an Irish woman. That's a great start, it must be said. uh, Who blogs. But she's an author, first and foremost. And has a very interesting blog as well. We talked about mask mandates and resistance in Ireland at the time. Now, something is happening in education. It's very interesting. We talked about this quite a bit, didn't we? You and me. We have talked about it. And that is the imposing upon young children lessons about their sexuality and about gender identity. So you're talking kids in some cases as young as three, and that's no exaggeration. Now, the most recent, I covered this most recently with Kim Isherwood, who I think Jean is in contact with. Kim chairs the campaign group Public Child Protection Wales because a group of parents in Wales are taking this to court. They are challenging the right of uh, schools to teach their children this stuff. When I say teach them, I, I should phrase it better. To introduce these concepts to children is probably a better way of phrasing it. It's being challenged. But Jean got in touch with me and said, Richie, this is not just Wales, it's not just England, it's also Ireland, it's also Scotland. And the lockstep thing about, you know, what with the lockstep aspect of all of this is of great interest to us. Let's welcome back to the programme my pal Jean Murray. Jean, how are you? Welcome back. How are you, Richie? How's it going? It's going great. And you're on, you're in vision on a radio show. You look great. <laughs> you look fantastic. Oh, you do. Um, you look great. My daily swim in Donna Bate Beach now, I have to say the water was gorgeous today. Gorgeous. Do you, are you an all year round swimmer, be honest? Yes. Yes. That's All courage. year round. That is courage. So you're like the, 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 what's his name? Again, the brain is gone today. 
the oh. uh, the ice bath guy that everybody's interested oh. in. Yeah, well, I tell you, we start. I started in 2019 and it was the end of October and I saw a bunch of women on the beach uh, swimming and I always walked there on the beach and I said, God, I'd love to do that because I was always a swimmer of the pool. And, you know, the pool is great, but it gets a bit boring. You know yourself, it's repetitive. Uh, and um, so I said to these ladies one day, listen, girls, would you mind if I get images? And they said, not a bother, come along. And I never looked back since. And I especially use it for uh, it was very beneficial for my own mental health so once I started I realized the benefits and I couldn't give it up and um, so when the lockdown happened it was hilarious in the March 2020 three guardy approached me on the beach um, and said to me um, you're not allowed in the water what are you doing I said I'm going for a swim well you're not allowed to get into the water I said why and he said there's a pandemic I said but there's nobody else on the beach you know and they said well you know you'll put the life services into uh, into danger and I said I don't think I will I said because it's a very calm day and I won't go out my depth but uh, lo and behold I continued to swim I didn't let them stop me because um, I never believed there was a pandemic and um, and a whole lot of it you know I knew straight off it was mass corruption and and I tell you where I was coming from and I might not have mentioned it before, but in 2008, um, we were um, virtually nearly annihilated by the 2008 crash that uh, destroyed, ultimately destroyed independent Irish wealthy builder. Now, my husband was a contractor for these builders. So, you know, he lost a lot of money and he lost a lot of work and he, you know, strived to keep his employees employed uh, for the last few years. And, you know, so we only know, we know too well, you know, um, the, the corruption of the government and their choice to bail out the banks and leave mortgage holders flying high. And so when I saw this January uh, come along, I was watching the COVID news. You know, I, I used to enjoy watching mainstream mood, media news. Um, and but I immediately saw, sorry, I'll just say I did try and I wrote into all the governments in 2008, 2009, 2010 to plead with them to help the people that were losing their houses and their properties. So at that time, I was becoming awake to the corruption of government. So when January 2020 came along, uh, February 2020, and when March 2020 came along, I knew this was uh, an attack on the people. I knew it was economic disaster to put our country into uh, lockdown. I knew it was mass corruption. Um, and I didn't I didn't even like I, I saw the stuff on the TV and I, it was like watching um, like, you know, Grey's Anatomy. I didn't think it was real. So it never affected me in that way. You're you know? talking so there. I, I think you're talking there about the scenes yeah. from Italian hospitals, which they yeah. used to scare people with. So it, it's yeah. fair to say then that you don't um, to this day, you don't even believe in COVID itself, do you? Well, I'm going to tell you something there, Richie. I'm 55 years of age. Um, I immediately went out the street. Um, I, I, I heard Gemma or Doherty speaking. So she was one of the first people I heard speaking. And I said, I'm going to find this woman and go and see what she has to say. And John, John Waters. And um, so I, so we were all in lockdown. So I snuck out to Dolly Mount Beach and because that was one of her first meetings out there. And I followed a lot of her meetings after that. And it was fantastic. So from then on, um, we, I joined another group, Stand Together Ireland, and we met at the GPO every Saturday through the whole of the 2020. And we were attacked by lots of uh, Antifa. And uh, so basically I met a lot of lovely, lovely people. We hugged a lot. We shook hands a lot. And I never caught as much as you a sniffle. And neither did my family members inside my house. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know yeah. too many people who got sick either. Um, yeah. My own yeah. boring story, which I won't dwell on, was um, yeah. was in that particular January. 
I did get the worst dose of my life. And the thing that differentiated yeah. it was that altitude type thing where the, the breathing became very difficult to be nearly impossible. So I don't yes. know. I'm very open to the idea that the virus itself might not have existed. So I don't, I don't think well, any less of anybody who has that point of view. It's just no, well, it's, it's I mean, hard I to do know. Understand. Really, you have asthma, and I, of course I understand there were older people. My own mother got a very very bad dose on the seventh of December two thousand and nineteen, right. and she was really really sick. And she would have been a big smoker in her day, but she's been off the smokes a lot a lot of years then, and she was very very sick. And, um antibiotic after anti- antibiotic inhalers after inhalers and finally on Stevenson's day um the you know after christmas of that year um she went to well she had gone back into the hospital my sister took her down to one of the local hospitals near near the matter hospital uh, because um it was packed the hospitals was actually packed in those days in in that christmas that was the last christmas it was going to be packed the following year there wasn't a sinner in it but anyway however they did say to mom I uh, you, you think you need to take you in because your your breathing is very bad. And she said, I'm not going into hospital. Just give me something else. So they gave her something else. And she then immediately after three days felt she could breathe. So the first thing she said was, oh, God, I can breathe again. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not doubting there was a very bad coronavirus going around. Of course, it probably was a coronavirus going around. I did catch a bad L dose about seven years ago. It was probably the 2015 coronavirus going around. But what they did do to the people at that time, if you remember those early months, they talked, we all had laughs about it here in Ireland in January, the Chris, uh, January and February of the coronavirus. Get, the, get your bottle of coronavirus. 2020, you know? yeah. 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 And and then all of a sudden we weren't taking a seriously enough. And what did they do? They changed the name to COVID. Now COVID sounds like a scary word. You know, there COVID we are. It's, it's almost yeah. Russian. You yeah. know. Yeah. And and all of a sudden people got afraid. People got afraid of this word, COVID. They didn't understand what COVID was. They just could see what the, uh, the government was telling them on the TV. And it, it did it really terrified people. And you see, the main person that I was concerned about then when uh, was my own daughter, because she's Asperger's, my youngest child. Um, she's now 17. And when they start talking about putting masks on in school, I mean, I mean, I was just adamant. Oh, my God, you cannot mask the children. You can't mask the children. And I was very disappointed because, like, you know, her school that she was in, I, I think there's about 1,200 children in that school on average, right? An estimate. It could be an, an extra 100 more. It could be 100 less. And 1,200 children have 1,200 sets of parents. And it was three parents myself and two other ladies that stood outside and tried to pass leaflets around to the parents. Please don't mask your children. We wrote into the school. It's dangerous. We gave them the scientific facts of masking children. All masks were going to do was annihilate the children, especially those with social disorders. And so you know, my daughter struggled to have friends, you know, you know, she had friends, but she struggled to connect with on a one to one friendship. So this was detrimental to her and many children like my daughter, you know, because the, the children on the autism spectrum now is rising. It's, it's unestimated about 13 in 100 children, you know, and 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 when I, when I go on and give you some information about the, the LGBT uh, numbers, uh, the Gay and Lesbian Education Network of 2016 said 11% identify under the LGBT uh, umbrella. And so there's massive, um, you know, inclusivity push for the children on the LGBT umbrella. But what about the children on the Asperger's? You know, nobody gave a damn about them or any of the children with, uh, you know, severe autism. 
them. And this was going to really affect these kids. And I noticed by, you know, that September, October that year, when my daughter went back into the school and it was full masks on, I think they brought them in in early November. And, and I noticed straight away her anxiety peaked, her hands started to shake. And did anybody, and, I, and, and, and presumably you were saying to head teachers or teachers, look, yeah. we can see this is having a negative impact. What was the response then? They didn't want to know. They did not want to know. We are following the rules and regulations. I wrote numerous re letters. And of course, I have a lot of friends who were like minded like myself uh, in my neighborhood and from Dublin City and and the wider network of Ireland. And we wrote uh, among us, we wrote thousands of letters to our, our, our principals in the schools, the teachers pleading with them and the Department of Education, Norma Foley, you know, the government, all our local politicians and our TDs. And we are following government guidelines we are following the, the, the hse sorry hse guidelines yeah. you know to keep people safe it was absolutely massive that was massively uh, disgraceful. that was the stock answer we are following yeah. the health service yeah. executive guidelines yeah. what do we yeah. know but of course they knew better They're, they said they were following yeah. guidelines but they could see the impact on children gene yeah. murray is our child guest abuse. child abuse gene is an author and a blogger it's good to have her back in the program um just before very briefly before we talk about sex education look they're calling for the reintroduction of mask wearing here, I, I can only imagine you're hearing similar noises in, in Ireland, am I right? Stephen Donnelly has just announced um, there, I seen it on one of the Twitter posts there a couple of weeks ago, um, oh, you know, we're going to have to be wearing masks again. You know, I can tell you my personal feelings about this. Um, I'm absolutely aghast. And, and the reason why I reached out to you as well, Richie, in order to um, try, um, you know, have a wider network um, and explain to parents, you know, realistically the parents haven't got you know they just don't understand maybe they don't understand right now the effects of the of the dangers of the mask on their children if they have kids who are smart articulate and healthy right because you have to take into effect it's children who aren't healthy physically healthy and they the masks are detrimental to their oxygen levels coming into their lungs you know and their and their oxygen levels going into their cognitive brain so you know so maybe they haven't been affected in these past year two years by the masks on their children but they will be affected. They will be affected because, first of all, besides the, the, the effects of their health, physical, cognitive, literal, psychological and emotional health, the masks have on the children, it's going to affect their their assertiveness, their confidence, you know, they're, they're going to be, Absolutely. you know, conditioned to be obedient, you know, and you can see this. I can see this already in, you know, in my own daughter, like just terrified of breaking the rules, obedient. You know, is that what they want for their kids? Not to challenge you know? the rules. I hear you. They're terrified of breaking rules that they might actually be questioning. They might be thinking these are arbitrary yeah. rules, but, yeah. but, but fear. I mean, yeah. they, they, they sold it in the UK in the same way they sold it in Ireland. The public health messaging was, was fear, 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 fear uh, from the word go. That's a huge subject for another day, but I'm really interested yeah. in the rights of parents. I'm not a parent. And I suppose at the moment I'm thinking if I was a parent of a four, five, six, seven year old child, I'd probably be in a lot of bother with his or her um, well, again, I say that I don't think I'd have them in school to begin yeah. with, knowing what I know now. But but you're seeing in in schools, not just in because we, we're not going to focus exclusively on primary schools. It's secondary schools that we're, we're going to talk about in Ireland, where they're beginning to impose um, this um, kind of sex education 
talking about sexuality and gender identity in a way that a lot of parents are not aware of, Jean. Is that right? A lot of parents are not really have any idea what's going no. on. No, they're not aware because um, I think most people, when when you have, um, you know, when you are aware of a trauma or a tragedy, a financial econo economic problems, you, you start to be educated, you know. So I was initially starting to be educated by the, uh, the criminal activities of the government through the economic crash of 2008. And I continued on to be educated myself. And then different areas like then in the school, um, I would have believed in the system. I raised my children in the system, you know, of I'm thinking I'm living in a lovely country. Uh, I'm living in a nice area. Uh, all the people I know, even from where I grew up in Cabra and where I live now in Mead, um, like they, they love their kids. You know, people love their kids. They want the best for their kids. I wanted the best for my kids. I believed in the system that was there. But I saw the change in this. And like, so when they initially locked the school doors in, I had no reason to, um, sorry, mistrust schools. Um, as I was raising my children, I thought they were teachers were very good to my children even in my last child I got a lot of help you know and support um, now granted I was able to afford to pay for private assessments outside the school and pay for resource and that's that's a main factor and I always um, opposed the unfairness of children that have to wait for years for assessment so that I just want to put that out there um, so I was able to you know um, when this, when the, the locked door policy came to schools with the lockdown, when they opened up in the September 2020, I began, why would they lock a door on a school? And I never needed to go into the school and address them before. But now once they locked the door, what were they hiding? So I knew, of course, what they were hiding. But like, you know, parents didn't know what they were hiding, you know. And you mentioned on one of your shows there last week um, in relation to if your parent had, a, if you had a problem with your teacher when you were a kid and certainly in my age group, like, you know, your mother would be up to that door of that teacher and she'd knock at that classroom door and say, excuse me, get out here now. I have a problem with you. They, were, you dare. they were accountable yeah. to parents more yes. so, I believe anyway, yes. when I went to primary school. No doubt about that. Yes, that's a very absolutely. good point. That, yes. And that's not the same today. Hence, no. so, so now no. they're introducing concepts to children yes. about yes. Um, sexuality. What do you know is going on in secondary schools uh, in Dublin and in Ireland, Jean, what sort okay. of things are they talking to kids about? Okay, so now we've got gender neutral toilets and it's, um, now I've been doing a bit of inquiry um, in all the schools of late as well. Now, see, we have a lot of, 87% of our schools in Ireland are Catholic schools, so they still carry the Catholic ethos of protecting morals and values. Now, what the government is trying to do is trying to get this out and, and they're in the process of doing this now because what uh, in 2018, they brought in a new bill um, to reform the relationship sexual education program. And because they said children's perception of sexuality was um, unadvanced, it was immature. And, and this is for primary school and this is for secondary school. And they because they had done the research of uh, the, the Gay and Lesbian Education Network of 2016, did that research um, and survey, they come up with 11% identifying the LGBTQ umbrella. Now, they did say in this report, and this report is from, um, it's the STAIR Student Teacher Educational Research, and it was conducted by Laura Curtis. And she did say in the report that she has to take accountability for some biasness because the only one that they could actually um, you know, interview was children and young adults under the LGBT umbrella because 
um, firstly, a lot of kids don't want to talk about their sexuality under 18 years of, years of age because there still is that whole shyness of sexuality. Absolutely. Yeah. If, you know, even if you are heterosexual or, you know, it's a big change for children when they develop from a girl uh, into a woman, when they start growing their body and, and their body changes and, and likewise for a boy. So they did have, they did acknowledge that it was going to be biased, this report. Can I, can I, can I jump of, in before yes. you carry on? Am I to yes. understand that the government in Ireland, like the government in the UK, has come up with this theory that children don't know enough about um, sexuality and they don't know enough about gay, lesbian, trans yeah. and all this. And by not knowing enough about it at a young age, this is somehow leading to um, discrimination against gays and lesbians in later life. But this is nonsense. Yeah. If that's the it's theory, but well, it must be because you, you speak to any gay man or woman over 35 yeah. and they'll tell yeah. you, listen, it's not an issue now. Life, it's never been better. We won yeah. the rights we fought for. There is no Absolutely. problem. So that's the premise then. So the premise is we've yeah. got to get into children and tell them that it's okay to be gay because if we don't, um, yeah. those children will grow up to be bigots. Yeah, but it's not even gay. It's not gay that they're focusing on. It's the, the 98 other genders. Now, Regina Doherty has just come out in the doll there in the, within the last week and said there is actually nine ge genders that they want to identify and be advocated in, as inclusive in the schools. You know, and what do you mean? Like, Hang on a second. So they want to identify nine genders and nine genders, what do yeah. they want to do? Do they want to hire staff then representative yes. of these genders? Yes. Gene, well, this is madness it, beyond anything it, I've heard. And this teacher is Laura Curtis and and and, and she's educated to be ad, advocated. So she has said herself she has they have a duty and they have a duty to go into schools with the knowledge that they know um, and to be able and they have the power is what they have the power to, of influence to use their knowledge you know so they, they this this um this review is actually about educating teachers in their duty and their responsibilities to educate children in all the inclusive genders as is their right yeah she's the leader of yeah. the irish senate regina doherty and yes. uh, she got a bit of stick from the telegraph newspaper about yeah. uh, two weeks ago or, or, or a week and a half ago for saying, um, you're brilliantly briefed, Jean. Um, yeah. I'm very impressed, as I would expect of an Irish yeah. woman like yourself. But you're right. She, she, she says we want to enshrine nine genders yeah. in law and people should have the right to self-identify. And if people say, well, I'm a gender or there's so many different names, whatever, a gender, yeah, that's actually a gender, a gender, a g e n d. Well, that's it, and that's the way I am, and I have to be treated appropriately or accordingly. Yeah, and you see, the the reason why parents are standing back on this issue is because they think if they say anything about the LGBT uh, Q plus I, and I think there was another letter added there the other day, um, that they're they're rejecting their gay family and friends. You know, we all have gay family and friends. Gay is, they have to fight for their rights. They're absolutely right. If they're attracted to the same sex, they're attracted to the same sex. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not what, this is what, this is why I'm not afraid to speak out about this. And a lot of people are looking and saying, oh, that's Jean, like, you know, uh, because she's a bit crazy. It's not that I'm crazy. It, we have beloved family members who are gay. Yeah, yeah. We grew up, my father had many gay friends. And if my dad was alive, he would be 80 now, but he died 16 years ago. And in his age group on our block in a Dublin Northside suburb, 
there was lots of gay men, lovely, lovely gay men, you know, and there was never a problem. Now, what? But but the, you're right to bring this up at that time. It is in. Yeah. It is. It is in. It, it is undisputed and quite rightly yeah. so. And I know this through my own experiences. At that time, gay men more so than lesbian women yeah. were denied access to services, yeah. were discriminated against in terms of employment, were the living shit was beaten out of them uh, on occasions when they went out um, with their mates. There's no two ways about it. Something had to be done. Pride yeah. was, you know, I, I, I can't speak for the people who who came together 50 years ago to organise Pride. But there were legitimate problems for gay men. And look, look, a gay man might come on here now and say, and, and argue with you and me and say, oh, Richie, there's still some discrimination. But I would argue, no, you can't change. There are bound to be people in society who think there's something wrong with being gay. And what we have to do is we have to live with those people. We, we, yeah. we, can't, we can't brainwash people yeah. into believing what, what it is we believe. Yeah. Th- that war has been won. You're right. This is something different. And I'm, I'm, can I ask you, Jean? I'm really interested. You said, and I think you're right, you said that this, this nonsense they're inflicting on children now uh, does more than a disservice to uh, gay and lesbian people, that it in fact um, hurts them in some way. How do you, how do you mean that? How does well, it- I'm listen- well, I'm going to tell you. I was listening to Maria Haller on your show there last week. And like, you know, and I, I don't agree with a lot what she said because, um, you know, I would be, you know, have a different view on and pro-life. But um, she made a very good point. And she said, um, so in relation to the overturn of Joe versus Wade, which I actually think it's a great victory for the unborn um, because it did get out of hand. And and I suspect like that the doctors themselves might have had something to do with this because they are having a difficult time um, terminating a life of a two pound, four pound or six pound baby. So I suspect there may be something to do with that or else there might be something suspicious. But what she said was very was a very good point. If these powers, and we know who's in government in America, we know who owns the government, we know they're massively corrupt, right? But if these powers were able to overturn the the Roe versus Wade, like, what is this going Very good, yeah. Very good. Jean has just frozen on me there momentarily. I tell you, this is someday. Is Mercury in retrograde by any chance there, I wonder? Is that what the astrologers believe? I, I'm not laughing at astrologers now. Don't uh, email me and, and kick off because you feel I'm taking the piss. I'm not. But any time there are communication issues, I'm reliably informed it's an astrological problem, Richie, or Mercury is in retrograde. I'm trying to get Gene back. I'm hoping that it's only a temporary connectivity issue. She's in Meath. It's Jean Murray. She's an author and blogger. And uh, I met her first about a year or so ago. I was impressed by hearing her doing something else somewhere else. It must have been on a podcast. And I thought she's got a lot to say for herself. She's brilliantly articulate. She's very interesting. And she got in touch with me to talk about government's plans. Uh, She's just offline temporarily there. Uh, So we might have to take a tune or two. Or maybe I'll just gab away with you for a moment. But uh, I'm going to ask her to give me a ring. That might help. Strange uh, Mercury in retrograde. Do you believe that, the Mercury in retrograde? It was actually, it's funny she mentioned Maria Heller. Maria was the very first person to ever say that to me. Some years ago, something exploded in the studio. 
And Maria said, ah, sure, Mercury is in retrograde. Jean, I think we're back in the room. Oh, hiya. Fantastic. I, I don't know what happened there. No, no, I'll tell you where we were. I'll tell you where we yes. were. You, like me, are confused that the people behind a mass depopulation agenda would suddenly do something seemingly noble, attempt to protect the rights of the unborn child. I don't buy it. And I was glad that Maria was willing to go down that route because yeah. she's very much pro-choice, as I think you are. But yeah. like you... Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm pro-life. Pro-life, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yes, I'm pro-life. But she, you're right, she made a very good point. If they could overturn this, let's just say now... Uh, with the gender ideology, ideology and they're, they're allowing the, the 98 genders, right? What if one day they come back and say, actually, no, uh, we're overturning this. What happens to the gay people then? What happens to their rights? Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that because once we discussed that last week, you know, repealing Roe versus Wade, what what about same-sex marriage and, uh, and other things that were hard won? Yeah. Which, of course, I, as a old... A very old school socialist absolutely support the right if a same-sex couple want to get married under the eyes of the law for whatever reason, maybe be it, be it for reasons of um, you know, their personal financial affairs maybe. Yeah. Absolutely right, they should have that right. It's I, their I own business. It's yeah, their own business. It's their rights and, and yeah. their own business. You're absolutely right. Um, the pro- Sorry, can you hear me? Loud and clear, Jean. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the, the problem what's happening is now you see which is why parents aren't realizing what's going on in the schools is because they're taking in on the this lgbt umbrella thinking it's all about the gay rights it's nothing to do with gay rights that's number one a point that has to be made clear to parents um in fact i would be advocating to protect gay rights in this because the rest of the, some of the genders and and the other thing that they're pushing with the tran- transgender is absolutely diabolical because to encourage a child under the age of 18 to cut off his penis is absolutely castration and it's it's absolutely you know it's, that they, would be punishment are they, here's, here's the thing that i don't know if this is true or not i, I i'm not saying i don't know if what you said is i'm not saying that what yeah. how much encouragement is there like we know there's one clinic in England it's the Tavistock uh, clinic where they where yep. they go to the NHS thing and they've been accused of really pushing children towards it rather than saying to them listen you're only 12 or 13 or 14 sure, sure look we've seen this before you think today that you're in the wrong body or the wrong biological sex or the wrong gender but um, you know in a couple of years you might think differently so we recommend that you have a bit of therapy we've got a really good counsellor but um, there are people who believe that's not happening enough that they're they're, they're going straight to the uh, puberty blocking drugs and, and all this yeah. sort of stuff is that the same back home? It is absolutely the same home. Uh, and again, you see, there's a couple of elements happening here. Parents have, are afraid to stand up for their children as well now. There's, you know, there's a lot of changes in happening in the last couple of years, um, last few years of my last child's generation. These poor kids have been the worst attacked, I believe. Uh, social conditioning on the phone, uh, grooming, um, you know, phone addiction, you know. And like, I was just saying, like, you know, if like, the, the 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 parental trust is gone from the children, right? Um, and this happened with the say with the recession two thousand eight. Um, parents were struggling to pay their mortgages. The focus was taken off the children. Um, lots of problems in the home. Lots of rows. 
children stop trusting the parent and then they turn to the nice teachers in school. I'm really nice and kind to you. Put your mask on. There's a good girl. Um, thank you for being so compliant. These are the words they're saying. But in so the children are confused and they've lost trust. So the parents are afraid to stand up their children if the children come, you know, between the ages, puberty ages, 10 and 18, you know, and, and they're going through changes and they're, they're probably, it's body dysphoria for sure, a lot of it as well, because the changes are really difficult for young girls, especially, and even young boys, you know, to adapt to, you know, and and I suspect a lot of the children who have more difficulties changing their bodies are children on the ASD, the autism spectrum disorder, because they are already confused. You know, they've already got some issues. You know, they already feel they're not inclusive. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they've got. So these are the and all of the angst, target. all of the angst growing up as a teenager. I remember yeah. it well, trying to, yeah. you know, being awkward around girls, hoping yeah. that you might get a girlfriend, hoping that you might get a dance, all of this stuff. So somebody has decided then to yeah. confuse young children and to confuse, yeah. to blur the lines between sexual orientation, between biological sex and between gender. Yeah, and absolutely. It's going to be and detrimental to children. Detrimental. It's going to be detrimental. Um, like, you know, the like what I would be advocating is as a parent, you're raising your children. Right. And like uh, my oldest is nearly 33. My second one is nearly 27. And my next, my last one is 17. I always said to my children in growing up, you know, um, I would like you to wait, uh, not have casual sex until you're in a committed relationship. Yeah. And most committed relations. And that would be, I would expect, like if anybody was gay in my family, I would say, you know, I would like you to wait till at least 18 and you're in a committed relationship. Now, of course, some of them are more mature than others and some may choose. I'm not uh, advocating. No, you know, I'm not saying, oh, everybody should do the, do what I'm saying to do. But like, I feel that like, you know, children are not mature enough to be in a sexual relationship till they're 18. And it has to be in a committed relationship uh, where they feel, especially girls or maybe girls, because girls need to feel the love and connection. And this is not unknown and this is not uncommon. No, it's true. You know, it's, yeah. You know, girls need to feel the emotion of connection and being loved, you know. So, you know, if they don't have, if they're having casual sex, that's not going to happen. You know, they're not going to feel that connection. And talking no, about, feel, talking about know. casual sex, I, I had to pinch myself here several times and then I had to go away, stick my head under a cold water tap. And then I came back again. This is about a year and a half, two years ago to realise that they do have books for primary school children, just for just for listeners who might be confused here, we're talking children under twelve. They have books that graphically describe sexual acts between people, and they even had, um, they had um, a dice game here they were using that they introduced with terms that would, I I would find incredibly sexualized terms you know absolutely and like my point is so like most parents would probably advocate the same you know most parents as i say all parents love their children and and their experience of trying to advise their children and they obviously want them all in a loving relationship no parent wants to see their child used or hurt or abused you know and so obviously they're going to advocate now listen you know be careful i want you in a committed relationship before you know you have casual sex yeah so you know and that is around the age of 18 and all the parents that i know would agree that I grew up with. And it's harder it's harder having you know? girls because you cause, cause you have yeah. a girl it's more difficult I would imagine it, it is, is I don't know different. Yeah it's I mean if you have a boy yeah, yeah you, you don't want him out you know yeah. um, having casual sex with yeah. um, lots of different girls and you'd want him to be a responsible gentleman at the same time yes. but, but it, it's not as perilous no, as it it's is not, with, it's not with as a girl. Boring. 
absolutely yeah. a totally different raising my son as I was raising my girls. Um, but like, so my like I was speaking to Marilyn Haas about this and I heard her on your show as well and she's a lovely woman and she's doing great work around the UK going into school educating the children about um, sexual abuse online and grooming and all the rest of it and you see and she's absolutely right and I'm hoping to get her over here to Ireland uh, into one of our sorry for the here. sorry for the interruption again you can smack yeah. me when, when we eventually meet yeah no work but, away but, yeah. but bringing up Marilyn who does a lot of work uh, freedom from abuse uh, was a yeah. teacher herself her own uh, children were groomed and raped yeah. by their teacher, an amazing woman, Marilyn Hawes. Yes, yeah, Am yeah. I to understand that it's your belief, um, it might be Marilyn, so I must ask her next time, Yeah. that by doing this stuff in schools, you're actually opening a door for groomers when they're a little bit older, these children. It is grooming. It's what it's grooming itself by teaching them this stuff. It's grooming. Well, listen, in on this same report uh, from Laura Curtis and the student teachers educational research article, um, the reason why she was investigating uh, the current uh, RSE program was because there was different um, elements missing that should be educated to children, like sex and the anus. Jesus. And this is this is for primary schools and secondary schools. I mean. Really, this is what I'm saying. Parents have no idea. They really need to go into that RSC program. So it's it's objective sex. So it's what it's doing is it's, it wants to teach children all aspects of sex and um, of what adult people do in their own right and business whenever they're off doing whatever they want to do. Right. But they want to teach this to children under uh, first of all, in primary school, under 12 years of age. And then obviously in secondary school, under 18 years of age, they'll current they'll, they'll advance it to, to, to whatever level. Well, you're right. It is grooming because is, if I grooming. if yeah. my if one of my neighbours says to me at the weekend, right, Richie, Caroline, would you mind um, young Brian there? And Brian is nine or ten. Mind him for a few hours. We've got to go into town or something. And I decide to put a pornographic movie on the television. So I'd, I'd, I'd quite rightly be arrested for that. Yeah, absolutely. But they want to take it over and they want to take it into school and they want to teach it because they think it's their right. Now, my, but you said uh, parents don't know. This is the problem. Parents are unaware of it. The parents are unaware because these teachers are all in nice uh, smiling faces and the principals are all nice smiling faces and are like, oh, we're just doing it because, you know, it's the right thing to do. And in what right is of theirs to teach our children um, sex education? I mean, the well, other Jean, thing go is... Back. Sorry, again, sorry if you interrupt. It's just because time yeah, is running yeah. out. Again, yeah. go back to what you said earlier on. Mm-hmm. When you factor in everything you've just said, and I think you're right, and then you remember that their raison d'etre, the reason for doing this is... So that the children won't be bigoted when they grow up. I mean, it's that's, lunacy. Yeah, that's their, that's their, that's what they're telling the parents. Yeah, which has nothing to do with it. What they're actually doing is grooming children in normalising objective sex behaviour. Why are so many and, teachers going along with it? Many of them teachers must know this is wrong. So why do they keep stum? Why do they keep quiet? Because. If you've got the likes of the Department of Education before these teachers go in to do their degree course, if this is being educated to teachers doing their degree course to be a teacher, they have to be educated in this and take this on. And somehow they're indoctrinated to thinking that, oh, it's the children's right to be educated in all of this sex. Well, I just want to make a little quick point in relation to. We're living in 2020. We're not 1950s Ireland where no. the parents didn't know where the babies were coming from. The mothers, <laughs> they were you know what I mean? 
like, yeah, we're all we're well, all well educated in every uh, area of sex and we're well capable of educating our children all sexual activities and behaviours and, and if they decide, I mean, I educate all my children before they went to school and being educated in every area, in, you know, in... Did like, you have if, the book, you know, they want to be gay. Did you have the book? Is, did you have the book when I when I was eleven? I grew up in yeah. Priory Lawn in Ballybay. I, I got the book. Did you have the book? Because my mother gave me the book when I was eleven. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't the case that she gave me the book and said, "Right, go to your room and read that." She was like, no. "Look, have a read of that, and if you have any questions." Um, yeah. So I had a read of it, and of course, many of the terms I'd heard yeah. on on the street anyway, lads saying stupid yeah. things, using you know bad language and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was obviously a big moment for me. Eleven, going, "Wow, this is how it happens then." And that yeah, was that, yeah. you know, that's how I suppose innocent it was. And now they're saying, you know, junior, as we say in Ireland, junior infants or first form or senior infants, that's okay. It's That's the right time now to talk yeah. to children about sexuality well, and gender. Yeah. But it isn't. It's it's devastating. It's, yeah. I was talking to a teacher in uh, on Saturday and she was telling me uh, when she, um, she's not a teacher anymore, but what she had, it came out first that she had to teach the expressive language to children and the children, the primary primary school children, junior infants and senior infants had to talk about the proper name for their genitals, which was penis or vagina. And she said at the time she realised that was a wrong thing to do because four and five girls didn't really know need to know. No. Oh, this penis because I mean like we all had like fun names you know little pet names and listen you know and that's to a certain age like four one two yeah, three four yeah, five yeah, yeah, yeah. you know well actually privates was the one I used for my my young children nobody touches your privates you know the usual you know so you know they didn't need to uh, they don't need to educate our children on sexual activity in this in the classroom we're well able to teach them and it should be private whatever they're trying to promote in this government agenda uh, even if it's like they're trying to promote uh, promote abortion as um, birth control it's its absolutely none of the government's business. No it is not. Whatever happens with our children, whatever they decide to be, if they're heterosexual if they're gay, if they want to transgender, if they need to have a service, if they choose whatever it's a private family They'll business. find their That'll own way exactly, let them find their own way, let them grow up to be who they want to be it's absolutely right Jean we're going to run out of time but I wanted to just pick you yeah. up on something you said um, yeah. Because I know you know this, you're saying it's the government, but you made the point earlier on that the, the really sinister aspect to all of this is it's not the government. This is coming from somewhere else because they're all doing it. So this is yeah. World Health Organization stuff, probably. I don't know, but it's coming from somewhere. And our puppets are the same as the British puppets and the French puppets. Yeah. They do what they're told. And this is rolled out through departments of education around Europe. And that's the sinister thing. And nobody is saying, you know, some of them fear, of course, being cancelled for being homophobic or transphobic. But nobody outside of religious people Religious people are screaming bloody murder, murder about it. But of course, they're being cancelled. You don't hear them on tell. I saw last week or two weeks ago, I couldn't believe it. Joe Duffy did a fairly sensible programme yeah. around, around transgenderism. I mean, it was fairly yeah. sensible. Everybody had a say. Everybody was represented. And they wanted to, to destroy the guy. Yeah. And that was very unusual. Um and that's what you're dealing with. Like, I mean, because so many people have bought into this LGBTQ plus I trans or whatever uh, umbrella as it's, you know, people's rights. Children are children until they're 18 years of age and they need to be protected. Absolutely. And, you know, if a child comes along to you at 14 and 15 years of age, whilst in puberty, 
and their body is changing. And, and some girls don't even have their period of 14 and 15 years of age, right? And, and some boys don't develop uh, as fast either, you know, it could be around that age. And, and they say, listen, I really want puberty blockers. They're allowed, the doctors are able to prescribe puberty blockers to children in this country. And, you know, this whole thing, like, you know, with the normalizing of the sexual behaviors in the classroom, um, you know, is is grooming. But like the other thing that they're trying to do is lower the age of consent. At the moment, 17. They're trying to bring it down to 16. Who, who's, doing, you, who's doing that now? Who's behind that? Oh, uh, the the oh, uh, I should have the name there, but it's obviously the government departments as well. It's not. Uh, the, it's not. It's, 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 is, it, is it a political party? Is it the Greens or who is it? It's oh, it's oh, it's Fina Gale, uh, Fina Gale and uh, Fina Foyle and um, Sinn Fein. It's all every one of them are the to same. Sixteen. Uh, it's yeah, sixteen. And I'm going to tell you what that does. Then is so all this sexual activity is normalized, and then you lower the age of consent. So let's just say a girl gets abused or a boy gets abused, uh, or what the other perpetrator thinks. Oh no, this isn't abuse. This is whatever. But the person who's the victim feels it's abuse. Because you're 16, well, it's the age of consent and, and you said you were consensual and you're like, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's just, oh, sorry, I can't even think of the word. No, but no, like, I'm with you, I'm with you, yeah. It's yeah, it's just it's they don't get justice. Let me put it that way. They don't get justice because they've been educated this in the schools and it's all but you knew what you were doing, you know, and it's all it's absolutely going to explode. And they can't like, you know, this as Marilyn would tell you, there's thousands and thousands of children that don't even, you know, report sexual abuse and thousands and thousands of young adults and thousands and thousands of older adults. They don't report it because there's nothing that can be done. You know, at the end of the day, it's still um, the uh, perpetrator's word against the, the, against the, the victim. Kid. Jean, we're just about out of time. Where can people find you online? I know you're on social media and I know you have the blog. Um, I'm just, I'm jeanemurray120.wordpress.com and I'm just on Twitter, Jean Murray, and then I'm Facebook, Jean Murray. And um, basically that's all I really do. I don't do a uh, really video podcast because um, I'm sometimes not great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better at writing the words down. You're outstanding. You know? No, you're, you're, you're absolutely, you don't waste a word. It's uh, very important, Jean. Um, I'm very concerned, Richie, and I'm very, very concerned because, like, I, it's affected my child already. It, you know, all this crazy stuff with the masks, and it's going to affect them now going forward again. And, you know, and then I have three grandchildren too. And, you know, and I remember, like, saying to parents initially, please, you know, don't don't let them put the mask on the children in school. You know, this is going to affect the children on the Asperger's, the autism spectrum, and it's really going to affect them first. But you were proven you know, right. And, yeah. And but you were true. proven right. Yeah, the the government tears had to admit it. The yeah. Im- the impact on on yeah. children and with, with autism, right? Asperger's rising. And here I'll tell you another thing. There's a three year mental uh, health waiting list for teens and young adults, uh, under eighteen year olds in the CAMS uh, public health service, right? For mental health service, three years waiting That's list. Incredible for mental health services, right? So if everything is working. If everything, if they're doing such a great job these past couple of years, how come there's a three-year waiting list? Do you know the best thing to do? Do you know when you've got a three-year waiting list for mental health services? Yeah. Do, you know, do you know the best thing to do is take in 100,000 Ukrainians? That's the yeah. thing to do. Yes. Why not? Take in 100,000 people who might have their own mental health problems fleeing a, a war zone in Ukraine. It's insanity, yeah. Jean. Look, we'll it's pick this up again in the near future. Good to have you on, by the way. Thank Jean, you so much, Richie, and thanks over. for having me on.
<laughs> it's Jean Murray one two zero at wordpress.com thanks Jean thanks so much Rishi God Richie, bless to you, you too bye for now an amazing woman a force of nature I think Jean Murray there on the line to us from Mees that's County Mees to you Philistines who didn't grow up or weren't born in God's country um, John Waters will be on with me tomorrow by the way a number of you have been asking me yes strangely enough I have been on top of things of late. And uh, John's a terrific Irish journalist and writer. An amazing character. He'll be on, he's in the Supreme Court t- t- tomorrow for, for, uh, for, for a verdict, a decision. He challenged, John and Gemma O'Doherty challenged the legality of lockdown in Ireland, the constitutionality of it. They were initially refused leave by um, Ireland's High Court to pursue that. And then they uh, took it to the Supreme Court. John will be on the programme tomorrow. There will be news on that tomorrow, John Waters. So I look forward to that. Uh, thank you for staying with me. It was a bit hairy in the first hour. And uh, I'm, I'm always reticent to mention, not that it happens often, you know, little technical issues, because I don't want to give the impression that this is some sort of substandard operation. It isn't. I've got the best of everything here. And it's going to get even better this coming weekend with the broadcast suite that's going to be installed. It's going to be amazing. I will post photographs of it online and it'll blow your mind. And then you'll say, well, I'm glad I support the Richie Allen show because he's so transparent. We know exactly where the money goes. It certainly doesn't go into my pocket, I tell you. I'm not down the pub getting the... I'm not down the pub becarding the bejesus out of myself. No, I'm not. Not these days. So, yeah, that's exciting. That's happening uh, this coming weekend. Thanks again to Jean Murray. Thanks again to you. We'll do it again tomorrow at five o'clock. UK time. John Waters, as I said, will be among the guests. Then it's Todd Rundgren closing us out. Bye.